According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the word intentional is defined as done by intention, intended. In other words, not random, not by chance, and not accidental. And according to the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, excellence is never an accident. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution. It represents the wise choice of many alternatives. Choice, not chance, determines your destiny. On today's episode, I welcome career coach, yoga instructor, TEDx speaker coach, and host of the Intentional Mind podcast, my good friend, Angela Barnard. We discuss how she has evolved into a living, breathing example of ambition, intentionality, and humor, and how applying an intentional mindset to your life can yield the fulfillment and freedom that will open up doors you never knew existed. I'm your host, Susan, and this is the Ready Room Podcast. recorded on the computer and it didn't didn't save yeah never recorded it so far. i just blame it on our editing assistant like, <laughs> i just say that i'm like it was it was the editing assistant which is my dog and i blame it on boots so <laughs> poor boots she has such who a, watches boots when you're on so she right now she's at a dog hotel which is just a huge party for dogs they just rage she's just, a bougie girl oh my gosh it's i mean they take such good care of her Give her peanut butter. You can probably see her in the camera, all the things. They send pictures and updates of her oh. with like little, oh, I hung out with Fluffy and Johnny and Stevie B today with <laughs> all these. And the business model for how they do it is something I want to do. Like it's a dog bar, dog park bar. Oh, that's cool. And it's just, yeah. So, all right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Folks, welcome to the Ready Room Podcast. Uh, this is going to be a pretty cool one. I'm here. So we're doing an away game podcast. We're here in Rochester, Indiana, and we're recording a podcast at the home of Angela Barnard, who we'll introduce here in a minute. So she's got a, a little bit of ambition, and we'll just roll through her little resume here real quick. So she's born in Muskegon, Michigan, February 13th, 1989. She went to Grand Valley State. Her bachelor's degree, as well as master's degrees, are in public and nonprofit administration, which is pretty cool because I never knew that existed. She's also a communications consultant. She teaches people how to perform and prepare for TEDx talks. So she actually is a TEDx speaker coach. She's a career coach, a yoga instructor, which I've seen firsthand in my <laughs> awesome flexibility. She is a budding and growing commercial real estate investor. She does keynote speaker events uh, in the health and wellness and life improvement arena. She's hiked 600 miles of the Appalachian Trail, also hiked the entire El Camino Trail, right? Mm-hmm. In Spain. All across Spain. East to West. East to West. She is the host of the Intentional Mind podcast, which has over 155 star reviews on Apple Podcasts. She likes drinking the first three sips of a beer. So she'll open a beer, <laughs> drink just the first few sips, then pass the other rest of the beer to her husband. And she likes wearing a fanny pack that she hides mayonnaise in. It is a pleasure <laughs> to welcome Angela Barnard here. Ange, welcome. Thank you. That was like the best intro ever. No, I was I was taking notes yesterday, and I remembered when you were telling us about you put mayonnaise in a fanny pack when you go hiking. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to forget that. I love mayonnaise. All it's right. like the best thing to have with you. It makes everything better. Do you mix it with sriracha? Like, do you make... I'm all about that. Anything you want to mix it with, I'm down, as long as mayonnaise is there. Gosh, I I don't know. I uh, Mayonnaise good- to me seems like a strange... Do you know how do they even make mayonnaise? Do you know what's in it? Yeah, eggs, oil, yeah, vinegar. They just mix it up. Yeah. And you love mayonnaise. Yep. All right, cool. Moving on. Good good <laughs> chat. It's a good start. Well, this one, Ange, we're going to talk about uh, 
the title, which will probably fall off the tracks very early on, is creating your own reality, the art of being intentional, how you can essentially design your own life, how you are the master of your fate, the you design your destiny, that type of thing. And yeah. we're going to get into it. So you ready? Yes. And then at the end, we're going to talk some shenanigans that you're not going to be prepared for that I made up. All right. All right. So you do a, a ton of stuff right now. I mean, your, your, your plate is full with things. What's the, what takes up the most on your plate right now? Oh man. What takes up the most? Um, I would say right now, since I've been really interested in investing as far as real estate investing, that has been taking up the most of my plate because it's something new to me. And anytime I'm learning something new, I go all in. Like I'm studying all the other people that are doing the thing. I'm looking to build the habits that I want to have, that I need to have to be the person that I want to be. So that has been consuming a lot. Um, but I'm the person like who has a million hamsters running, doing the things. Hamsters. Yep. Sprinting. Yep. Yeah. Doing things. But so that's, has it been a constant for you? Have you always had so many hamsters doing crazy <laughs> things, jumping jacks, sprints in your brain? Has that always existed for yeah, you? Yeah, Always. I mean, definitely like legit diagnosed ADHD, but, um, I also just, I'm the kind of person that wants to, like, I get a lot of energy from doing a lot of different things. And, you know, like a lot of us that also have a military background, we tend to be the people that people are always saying, relax, just relax, just relax. And we always want to be doing something. So I feel like that's also been trained, like programmed in me too, to be busy and just like not just like busy and like wasting time, but like productively busy, like doing something that's like you're working towards something. I feel like that's just been a habit that I've built. And I don't know if it's, I mean, I've been like, I wouldn't say that I've always been like that since I was a kid. Cause I was more of like a shy kid and wasn't really involved in a lot of things. But as I got older and I think especially after I, I started my military career, then I've been like a whole nother level of. So I'm glad you brought up the, the military <laughs> card because that's how we met. Yeah. When I was leaving the Marine Corps and you were teaching TRS. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that is unfamiliar with TRS, can you give them a little breakdown on what TRS is? Yeah. So when you are in the military and you're exiting out for whatever reason, if you're retiring or, you know, your contract has ended or you just get kicked out for whatever reason, right? Hurt and anything. You have to go through the TRS program. And basically the program is just to help you exit out of the military into the civilian world. So when I was part of that program, I taught people skills that they needed to transition into the next career. So a lot of work around clarity, um, around, you know, interviewing, resumes, speaking about what you did in the past, all that stuff to set you up to be a civilian. And that was the, how did you get to that role? That's a very specific, and you taught Army, Navy, and then also yeah, all Marine Corps. So when we met on Paris Island you know, years ago, but you also did that at Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort, but then you also worked on army bases doing the same thing or, yeah. or their version of it. All along the East Coast, I traveled. Was that something you wanted to do or kind of fell into? Yeah. Um, oh, it's so interesting you asked that because it was funny story. Like long story short, um, I've been, I've been very good at interviewing like over the years and um, there was an opportunity that came up with Yoga Journal and Yoga Journal is a popular magazine and it's out, it's out of Denver, but in the yoga community, it's a very popular magazine. There was this opportunity to work for Yoga Journal where you could come be an ambassador. You represented the magazine. You would travel all over and do some yoga stuff and all the things. So I remember I saw this opportunity. I applied for that opportunity. I ended up getting flown out to Denver. I was in the finalist 
Um, it was like real world. If anyone's familiar with that show from back in the day, like they fly to you out and then it's like someone like you, they leave a card for you and you open up the card. And it's like, it's like a letter to you. And it's like, you have arrived, but you have your competition there in the same house as you. Nice. Like that's how they did it. And at the time I had only been teaching, I promise I'm going to bring this around. It's relevant, but like I'd only been teaching yoga for like a year or something. I was not, I've still, I'm not the best yoga teacher as far as I'm a good teacher, but I can't do the things that are like the crazy poses and stuff. Um, but anyways, they ended up, I was in the finalists, went there. I thought that this opportunity was for me. I really wanted it. And my husband and I ended up flying out to Thailand and I ended up getting in a moped crash and like tore my ACL and all this stuff. So I couldn't even like if whether they decided it was me or not that they chose, I could literally not walk. And it was one of those moments where I was just like so frustrated, but like I'm a person of faith and I knew like there's a better plan for me. And I was in Beaufort, just had moved to Beaufort, um, just praying about it. And I came back, couldn't walk, whatever. And I saw that opportunity popped up. And I was like, you know, I've really wanted, I've been really wanting to teach more. And for me, I just really wanted to get out of my comfort zone to like, you know, scary being in front of people, especially Marines. Let's, let's be real. Or like retiring Marines. Like if you want to be intimidated as like a petite female and you're about to lead people and teach them, go ahead and jump into that situation. And um, I saw that pop up and I was like, this would really challenge me. So I went after it and I had, again, more interviews, multiple rounds of interviews, had to do videos of me teaching all the things, but I feel like I can excel. Like that's my jam is like, I love teaching and I'm pretty good around like video because my background is, a, I was a broadcast journalist. So anyways, I got that opportunity and that's how I ended up doing it. So the, that's a, I didn't know that it was that kind of process. I assumed that it was kind of a, um, you know, that they probably saw you somewhere and recruited you, but you full mm -hmm. up applied yep. and everything. But you had never, have you ever spoken in front of large groups like that before, like with a military background? No, not really. Um, I, you know, I used to work in county mental health, so I used to teach classes in the county mental health organization, but like few here and there, but this is with like a bunch of social workers, a lot gentler crowd. Gentler. Yeah, gentler crowd. <laughs> gentler. <laughs> Loving, yes. right? Potlucks yes. all day long, very sweet. Um, anyways, so it was just a, that's how I got introduced into that training piece, and that still terrified me. And even when I was training there, I still would, like, be nervous and, like, shaky. And then I still felt that way when I ended up working, you know, with the Marines and everything. But then So what do you remember about, you know, your kind of mental preparation, your attitude before you first got in front of the room with a group full of, all different ranges. So to edit, to paint the picture, there's your most junior enlisted Marine that's getting out who may be 21, 22 years old. Yeah. All the way up to a, gosh, Colonel or even General. So they, everyone, we all have to go through it. Every, so doesn't you, matter what your rank yeah, is. You might be a logistics officer. You might be a fighter yeah. pilot. You might be an admin officer, a grunt. So every different type of Marine Corps background from every different age group and every yes. different rank all in the same room. Yeah. So what do you remember about the first time you got up in front? I remember being so terrified and I remember um, especially when I had to do the retiree class because they were even, there's several people had said like, Ooh, you know, like the retirees are coming and like, they would like say things like that would be like, Oh, I'm kind of concerned. And it was kind of like, they were like, she's going to get like in alive out there. Like they're going to be like, this is a joke. Like this young little girl is teaching me, you know? Um, so because they were concerned that got me concerned. Um, but I just remember 
like, you know, I'm such a nerd when it comes to like psychology and like, what is it? It's, you know, about influence and I teach around that. So I was all about like diving into like, what do I got to do to build rapport with these people so that they will listen to me? Um, but I was terrified. And I remember like, especially when I, I, once I got used to the Marines, I knew how Marines were and I knew how like army people were. Like I just got used to those branches. And I remember one time I had to fly out to Florida and I was training, um, the Navy and Coast Guard, I think were there in that classroom. And I remember that terrified me too, even after I got used to Marines, because I'm like, well, this is a whole nother group. I don't even speak their language. I'm not even used to being around them. So like, I feel like the entire time I was terrified. Okay. So what did you notice or what did you, when you found little mini light bulbs of, ah, this is working or I'm building rapport or I can see the energy in the room I'm connecting with, with the audience when it came to the Marines because I know the answers to these questions, but how yeah. did you build that? How did you gain their respect? Because no shit, you're in the front of, there's probably yeah. a lot of people who've done a lot of challenging things in the room. In fact, they're, they're oh, are yeah. like 19 year olds with more responsibility than CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And you got to earn their respect to keep their attention also. So how did you do that? Oh my goodness. I would like to know your answer to this because I feel like the the biggest thing I focused on was showing honestly like how I was different like when you are like even when I started the class like you could tell like one of the things I would say right off the bat is like I know that you're probably thinking this is going to be stupid and a waste of your time like right because you're already you have to be there you're ordered yeah you're ordered to be here you feel like you have to be here it's not voluntary I really like said that off the bat like I I targeted I call it um shining a light on, on the monster under the bed is like, I'm just going to point it out. Like, I know you're thinking this. Like, this sucks. Like, I have to be here. This is stupid. This is a waste of my time. But then I would, like, go into, like, how this is different. And you already knew right away that I was different. Like, you could tell my personality right away. And then just genuinely, like, showing that I truly cared. And then I would say a lot of times, like, things like, I'm not going to make you do this because I think it's stupid. Like, do. Like, I'm not going to waste your time. And there were certain things in the book that I'd be like, nope, we don't need this. Like, I was, you could tell that I was very intentional about what I was going to teach you and what mattered most. And I brought in a lot of new teachings, um, you know, related to the energy stuff, influence. And, you know, right off the bat, I said, like, all of you, no matter what age you are, like, no matter what situation you've been in, you're going to need to influence people, like I always say, to get whatever it is you want next. Was there a, I noticed, and from my experience, it's a, I was like, okay, I'll see how she, see how she does. Yeah. And I was just watching the crowd's reaction. I'm like, all right, you were, I remember you had a, it was just kind of a black professional business suit type Ooh, that's very intentional, You know, too. which I was like, that's obvious. Okay. Uh, dark hair as well. So I was like, okay, she's specifically, she's not wearing a, a I don't know. Pink dress. Yeah. Which yeah. says a lot different. The color, the psychology of the colors. Yeah. And I'm looking around the room and there's some salty dudes in the room, you know, and salty women as well. Like female Marines oh, yeah. are no joke. Yeah. But I was like, let's, it's probably 30 or 40 of us in the, in the class, you know, at different tables. I was like, let's see how she does. And I was really interested to see, I'm like, She's either going to get steamrolled yeah, or it's going to go really well. And at that point, I think you had been doing it for a little while. It wasn't, this wasn't your first rodeo. Yeah. But I'll tell you what I noticed. Um, so the first thing Marines notice is appearance first. Mm-hmm. Is she in shape or is the person in front of the room in yes. shape? Is the, is the platoon commander or the platoon sergeant in shape? They take note of that right away Ooh, before you point. even say anything. And there's, and not to knock people who are not in shape, but there's a difference and- 
Marines specifically take pride in that. You know, being physically fit is a big part of our culture. You're in shape. They mm-hmm. notice that right away. Dressed professionally. Now, you're not in a, a uniform, but dressed professionally to address a crowd. They notice that right away. So I was like, okay. And then also, whether maybe you were nervous as hell, not showing that. I mean, yeah. you can be flipping out internally. Like oh, yeah. I always heart- was. Maybe yeah. you wouldn't know because people would say to me, it's like, oh, I just couldn't. Like, I've even had students say to me, you know, I couldn't do that like you do because like, I would be so nervous. I'm like, I am nervous. Like, you don't see that. Exactly. Yeah. That's the key. I'm having a heart attack internally, but you're not going to know that. But, you know, I also know a lot of things around self-soothing techniques that I'm doing that you're not aware of just because of the training that I've had. And like I've trained myself around reading all the books, doing all that stuff. Yeah. So I would do those kinds of things that people wouldn't pick up on. Like what's an example? Okay. So an example is. So you're having example. So let's paint the picture. You're, you're in front of the room. You're freaking out internally and you know, you tell yourself you got to calm down. What do you do? So I really like if I can't calm myself down with my own mind and usually that's the issue for people is like you're in your head. So you need to do it in a physical way. You need to do it with your body. So it's like mind-body connection. You know, your body is also speaking to your mind. So, you know, when you get nervous, you're going to be showing things with your body. Like, you know, people a lot of times will be touching their neck. They'll be touching their hair. It's like a way to like cover up those vulnerable areas and you do it subconsciously. I used to see it a lot on the camera where people would rock on the camera when they would get nervous. I'd see this with four-star generals. i put them in front of the camera rocking no shit yeah because it's like they're especially when you know how it is like their whole crew shows up to evaluate them and everybody's like writing down the notes when they're in front of the camera and it's like it's like they're talking about a subject they haven't talked about because it's like a brand new scenario and they're feeling nervous like i've i've seen that a lot no matter what rank and you would see the subtle rocking in front of the camera and they wouldn't even notice it and i would play it back on the camera and see see this and they're like oh my goodness i was rocking it's like yeah your body tries to self-soothe So what I do is if I'm already feeling nervous, I try to pay attention to what my body's already doing. I'm like, oh, here I am, self-soothing, like rocking, touching my neck. So I'm going to be like, I'm not going to do those things. So instead, I'm going to do other things that are like, I'm still going to self-soothe because that's what my body wants me to do, but I'm going to do it in a way that's less obvious. So things I would do is I would pull my elbows into my ribs kind of like the same effect that you have like a dog that's very anxious you're going to put that jacket on it you know and that's like helps it with anxiety that pressure just like you would wrap a baby up in a blanket so I'm going to put pressure on my body so I'll put my elbows on my ribs and then keep my body open and that's something that's like open body language but I'm self-soothing with my pressure with my elbows against my ribs I will cross my ankles like right now I have my ankles crossed and if I'm doing anything like an interview or something like that, you don't see, like even on Zoom, you don't see that I'm self-soothing. You don't see my ankles. But that's a way is like crossing your ankles. Um, what else? Yeah, the open body language. Make myself like, you know, because after a while, after two minutes, then your hormones are going to change. So um, you can release like those confidence-related hormones if I keep my body open. So if I'm feeling anxious, I need to like open my body and hold that position for at least two minutes. And that is even when you're interviewing, before you go in for an interview, doing that body language switch because you're like, oh, I want these confidence hormones flowing through my body. So don't be doing the things like I always tell people, don't be like looking at your phone, crunch down and like, because then you're triggering those fight or fight hormones. And that's not what you want to be triggering before you move in. And then you have to think too, energy. Energy is contagious. So my whole thing is like, you know, 
like when the whole concept of like fake it till you make it the way that I see it is like you fake it till you become it so it's kind of like I don't naturally like maybe I'm not naturally feeling confident but I'm gonna put myself in a confident body language position and then I will become that because after two minutes now I'm releasing the hormones so you this was a I remember talking about this in class specifically because some of the on our little table we'd have our discussion groups and things yeah and we talked about if you ever have a phone interview a phone interview, right? They're not going to see you, mm-hmm. but I would tell the Here Marines, and we talked yeah. about this as well. It's like, put on something presentable. Yes. Or your you don't got to wear a suit. Don't you don't need to go on a three piece suit, but put on you know a nice polo shirt, a button down, tuck in your shirt, put on a nice pair of shoes, and stand up when you are on your phone interview. So don't be sitting on the couch, laying down, yeah. whatever. Dress presentable. And there's a, such a difference. And the person on the other end of the phone can hear it. Like, you know if you're talking to a friend and she's laying on the couch. Yep. Okay. You know if you're talking to somebody and they're doing errands in the garage or whatever they're doing. You can tell that they're they're upright, they're doing something. And the first reaction was like, well, I'm doing a phone interview. Why do I need to dress presentable? Why do I need to, you know, stand up? And to connect with younger Marines, I would always bring, it would, I'd bring up girls and talking girls. I'm like, guys, all right, you know when you throw in your dress blues, whether you're the goofiest looking dude on the planet, when you put on your dress blues, you got some swagger. Yeah. Like you walk into the room and dress blues, it doesn't matter who the girl is. You'll go up and talk to her because you, you, you know, feel so much better. Exactly. And I would say for, and you reemphasize this, maybe you talked about it, for a phone interview specifically, dress presentable and the yeah. psychology effect, how it's the person on the other end of the phone, they might not know that you're wearing a, a nice polo shirt or button down and slacks but they can tell the energy you're giving because you're standing up and you're you have some confidence because you know you got a little bit of swagger on and that's the most influential thing is the energy that you bring so it's like you really got to think about what helps you feel your best and I always say like I'm not the same person in my sweatpants as I am in a blazer like I mean yeah it's me it's Ange like I'm that girl but I present very differently I speak very differently than I would if I didn't have my blazer on, I have sports pants on, you know? So I noticed that difference in me and I know other people notice that too, but it's all about the energy. Yeah, totally. All right. So a couple more questions on the TRS, cause that was, such, it's such a gnarly experience being in front of that type of crowd. Yeah. What was something that, was there anything that surprised you or that you learned from, you know, speaking in front of groups of Marines and soldiers and sailors? Yeah. You know, um, Oh, man, that that experience served me so much in my life to put myself in that situation and also see like how I could influence any group of people, like one, a group that a lot of people would think would be challenging to influence. Um, So that gave me a lot of confidence. And what gave me the confidence was to see that at the end of the day, we're all humans. Like even if you've been through some rough stuff, like you're still human with still your fears around what other people think about you all of that stuff. So I, I noticed like in every setting that I've been in and with everyone I've worked with, like I said, like four star generals, I still see that fear, you know, st- stepping in front of the camera, stuff like that. And I feel like that just made me just feel more confident talking to people. Cause I'm like, we all have that. We all have the mind trash that's coming up in our minds. And I've seen people, I will say like when it comes to all the groups I've worked with Marines, um, presented a lot better when it came to like standing up and talking to people. I really noticed that difference in their skill set because of their confidence. Um, but still, there was times like, you know, I I would think someone was, I don't even know if it was during your session or not, where um, I think it was. You remember when someone like froze 
I think it was during yours. Maybe I'm wrong. Like they were sharing, they're presenting the brainstorm session and he froze and couldn't talk. I vaguely remember this. Yeah. And then someone said, take a deep breath. And we talked about it. Yes. Yes. I remember this. It was a junior Marine that was in front of the room. And I, gosh, I want to say he was a Lance Corporal. So he was getting out of the Marine Corps. And one of the guys at my table who was a gunny, Mm -hmm. so an E7, just, he just did what gunnies do. A good gunny. He was just like, hey, hey, Marine, take a breath. He just, yeah, that's taking care of your, your younger Marines. I remember that. Yeah. And it was so, because he like, we, I, I didn't know that he was going to struggle, like speaking in front of everyone. I thought, I mean, he was speaking fine earlier, but then when he was like given the mic in a sense, and it was on him to share the feedback, it was like he froze like a deer in headlights. And then that's when, you know, the other dude was like, take a deep breath. And then we ended up talking about like the science behind how you're getting yourself out of that flight or fight state. You're moving into that rest or digestion kind of like mindset the parasympathetic is kicking in because you're like taking that deep breath so you're switching yourself from that stressful stressful state by doing like the slow deep breaths so there's another way to like manage the mind with the body in a sense and then he was on it like as soon as he took those slow deep breaths bam he spoke so well afterwards yeah so I just noticed that has that really helped me a lot to see like how no matter where I am people are always struggling with the mind trash and the worry of what people think and one of the things that I've been complimented a lot on when I was training was like how I could get everybody to engage with each other and how they could have so much fun in the class and then I had marines you know singing and dancing and like random things and people were like okay I've never seen this happen and and I was like because we create this this atmosphere where like we're like a tribe mentality truly like bringing everybody together a part of the same tribe I'm like them you know because one of the most common things people have said to me is like I feel like you're professional but they always say that, but I feel like I could talk to you. Like I could tell you how I really feel or if I'm nervous. And I, I feel like I just created that space where you felt safe to truly be your true self. And, um, it caused, and Marines are so creative. It caused them to bring out like that creative side of themselves. Like there's been so many times we were like dancing. There's people twerking up in front of the room. Like, and you're like, what is yeah. this? Yes. It was, and people would bring their, um, spouses cause you're able to, but they were like, you need to come. And people had asked like, can, can I, um, like just call someone. I'm just going to answer your phone so they can hear what you're saying. I'm like, what? But it, it just helped so much to give myself that confidence that I needed. So going back to the story about the moped accident in Thailand, which if anybody's ever been to Asia, any of the Southeast Asian countries, there's no rules when it comes to driving. Yeah. It's an absolute zoo. It's all offensive driving, especially on the moped and the scooters everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you got, you, you tore your ACL in a moped accident. And yeah, as a result, tore. the job you were looking for, you know, that you were going to try and get in Colorado didn't work out. So mm-hmm. safe to say that was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is, so um, when I got that, opportunity so they called me and um they said hey can you fly out to Denver during these dates this is when we're doing this interviews these interviews and I was like oh crap because it was when Ian and I my husband had already planned a trip to Thailand it was those exact dates and I was like this is like they this role was broadcasted out to the entire U.S. and then the U.K. so I was like okay I'm gonna be like on the chopping block right away the fact that I'm not available on the dates that they said 
So they were like, and um, let's we'll go back to the table. We'll see if we can find some other dates. And I was like, what for me? Like what? So they tried changing and they came back and they were like, no, the dates, these are set. This is when everyone can do it. Is there any way you can make it work? And I was like, no, because we already planned this trip. My husband has set days off, whatever. So it was only going to interfere with like the first day. So they were like, hey, how about we buy you and your husband a new ticket to Thailand? I was like, do you realize how much these tickets are? They're like last minute. I was like, for me just to interview, it was insane. So I've never like had anyone respond that way. So anyways, I was like, um, that's celebrity status right there. It was, it was nuts. And then, um, I said, you know, that's not going to work or whatever because of his dates. And they're like, well, how about we buy you a new ticket? So you, you just miss like a day or two of the trip and then we'll fly you from Denver to Thailand. And I was like, okay. So they agreed to do that. And what was really cool and why this matters is like they got me medical insurance, travel medical insurance, which I never do. Like if I wasn't buy my own ticket, I would have never done that. So at the time, my husband had just switched his job. We just moved to, to Beaufort and um, we didn't have insurance. We were like being risky, didn't get any insurance in between. And so anyways, when I got in that accident, it was cool because I – I was off on like multiple islands, had to take the ferries. It was a whole situation. Had to get back on the moped that I crashed in, had to carry crutches with the moped. It was a thing. My bags, all the things. Sounds like an adventure. Yeah, it was quite an adventure. But I got to Thailand and that's where like they did an MRI and they saw that I had torn it completely. And it was so helpful because I knew what was going on. If I went back to the US, I would have spent so much money just getting them to agree to give me an MRI and all the things. But I knew going back to the US, I knew what was going on. So I also knew, and that was all covered by that insurance. So, and the blessing of this is I was in the moped, I remember, and I was like praying about this because I was like, God, if this is for me, let it be. If it's not, close the door. And I ended up getting the moped crash, but I felt <laughs> literally right after. Oh, and nice. I and I really do believe that it was like, I had this feeling of like thirstiness around it. Like, I'm like, I really want this. And anytime in my life, then I know I get on that scale where I start to be like, I want this. And I start to feel that controlling energy around it. I feel like I'm no longer, this might sound a little woo, but I'm no longer at the the state to receive it because I'm starting to like be controlly, desperate energy around it, not the energy of acting as if, as this already is. You know, I was on that line and I could feel myself doing that and um, just obsessing my mind about it. And then bam, the crash happened. And I really, now that I look back, I'm like, thank you because that experience, I would have never taught the Marines. I would have never been doing any of that stuff. They give me so much confidence. And as a consultant nowadays, when I can confidently tell people like, hey, I can engage an entire room. And I'll tell you an example of a story of how I've been able to engage these groups, all different ages, all different education, you know, from high school diploma to doctorate, I can engage them all in the same room and get good feedback. Like that's helped me in my whole consulting career and training career. And I felt like I needed that. That was way better gift than what the yoga tour would have done for me. So good things happen sometimes when you get in a moped crash in Thailand. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. No, I like that. It's, it's true. Like a curveball, a life curveball comes at you. And initially the react is, Oh shit. You know, I'm this opportunity is lost that, yep. but you can't see three steps down the line, these other things, these other doors that might open up and yeah, you know how it all plays out. I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole for like forever, but we're going to move on a little bit here. So what was one takeaway? If you're going to say, Hey, this is from my experience as a TRS instructor. I'm grateful. I learned dot, dot, dot. Oh, 
I would say I'm grateful that I learned how to manage my own mind under stress. Like that's a deep one. Yeah. Because, you know, when you think about public speaking, even, you know, people always say like the, the thing that people are afraid of the most, like first is speaking, public speaking over death. Yes. I heard people would rather die in a fire. I read this, the, the, you know, top five fears, number one, public speaking, number two, burning in a fire. Yeah. Are you shitting me? I know. And that sounds a horrible way to die, but yeah, that's a thing. And I feel like that's what I knew the most was like how to manage my own mind in that situation where I'm at like in front of a room and everyone's looking at me and, you know, judging me and all of that. So that was a gift. I'm still controlling your own mind. Yeah. Where does all the ambition come from for this? Like where, where did the, you had mentioned you wanted, you were excited to do something challenging that got you out of your comfort zone that you were afraid to do. Like something you're terrified of. I mean, speaking in front of a large group of Marine soldiers, sailors, you got excited for that uncomfort. Where does that come from? Because that, that, that phrase alone doesn't make sense. I'm excited to go do this uncomfortable thing. You say that to most people, they're like, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to go to go do something I'm familiar with and comfortable with and is easy and fun and tastes good, whatever. I don't, most people don't get excited to go into something they're terrified of. Yeah. So where where did you get that? Oh my goodness. You know, like I think one of my favorite feelings is to make myself proud. I always say that. And like that feeling when you did something that was hard or uncomfortable and then afterwards you're like, I'm so proud of myself. Like that is such an amazing feeling. And it's something too, like when someone else does something like even, you know, as parents or whatever, I don't have any kids, but like, you know, yet. Um, but when you see your kid do something, you're like, I'm so proud of you. It's just like that feeling feels so good. So like, I want to feel that more in my life. And I know that comes from me doing something that is uncomfortable. Like that's the way I feel that feeling. Um, and you know, a lot of, and I guess like if we dive deeper into like a therapy session almost, but like, I think, um, growing up, I like, I was pretty neglected, like as a child, like I was very, my mom came here during the Vietnam war as a refugee and she like had a lot of her own, you know, struggles with like living in a refugee camp, PTSD stuff, like just not very much like a person who talks a lot about her emotions and wasn't very motherly, like hands down, just didn't have that mothering vibe. So she was always gone. And um, after she got divorced from my dad, I went and moved with my mom, but she was never around. So I was basically always taking care of myself, like ever since I was little, working on my own, like paying for my own shampoo, like all the things. And um, I think like I had this desire of like, I wanted to really make myself proud. I wanted to feel those feelings of being, I don't know, like, or someone else, maybe psychologically, like, um, like telling me they were proud of me. And I feel like that comes too from you doing something challenging and someone's like on the outside, like, oh, I'm proud of you. Or even just myself telling myself that. Like, I think I craved that because I didn't have that as a kid because my mom was never around. So maybe that's the deeper background. Well, I took Psych 101, so I'm <laughs> highly qualified to, to dig into this one. And that, so gosh, I, I, the Asian mom effect yeah, is a real thing. That's real. Asian mm-hmm. moms are tough. So you wanted to feel that sense of appreciation from someone or for yeah. yourself. Yeah. And that was a drive that you had as a little kid. Mm-hmm. Now that you're older and you've experienced a good bit of life, 
has that drive changed or is it still, have you got to the point where you're so independent that and confident that I don't need to impress anybody else because it's, I'm I'm a self fulfilling prophecy of confidence in a way. Yeah. That's a good question because I've noticed that more and more in myself. Like I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, I just want to make myself proud, like, and just invest, like impress myself um, less so much about other people than it used to be when I was younger. But it's still a thing where I got to watch it because like I am always like wanting to take myself to the next level. And I like watch where I'm like, let's make sure we're doing this in a healthy way because like I will be real and say like it is difficult for me to relax. Like I'm not like I always want to be doing something. I always want to be moving forward on stuff. And then I'm sure if you dug deeper into that, that probably goes back to like comforting that little child that's still in me that wants to be making herself proud or feel worthy or whatever. I'm sure if we really analyzed it, it's related to that. Um, But I will say like, I do feel so much more peace and freedom like that. My, I know my worth doesn't come from what someone else thinks about me. And that's even like why I'm able to put myself in situations where, you know, I can talk to someone who I might be really intimidated to talk to, or I can coach other, you know, TEDx speakers and stuff like that. Because I feel like even if you think like awful about me, like at the end of the day, my worth doesn't come from you. And that is such a powerful place to be because you can authentically like truly be yourself because you know that like, I don't like, even if I act a fool, like it doesn't matter what you have to say because I know where my worth comes from, you know? That's freedom. It really is. Total freedom. And it's contagious, that energy, that that energy of authenticity. If we think about all the people that we follow and we love to listen to, it's because they're so authentic. Like they have the balls, I'm just going to say, to be your true self. Yeah, they don't give a shit about what anybody else thinks. Yeah. Like they don't care. Yeah. It's like, well, cool. Like I'm sure you've had people, you know, on your podcast that maybe have offered a negative review. Mm-hmm. I had, I had somebody send me a nasty gram. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, thanks. I Thanks for taking the time. But um, I don't care. It's Definitely. You know, I'm still going to keep doing this thing. So that's a good, uh, yeah, freedom. True freedom. When you can sleep easy because as long as you are meeting the standard of the person in the mirror. Yes. Now you're truly free. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. I just kind of, that's a good quote. All right, ready to move on to the next part? Yep. Okay. The Intentional Mind Podcast. How did that happen? And why did you pick that name? Oh my goodness. I don't even remember why. Very specific. It's very specific. It's very specific. Very specific. Okay. So, um, man, like I feel like to intentionally design your life, which is something I'm really passionate about, um, you really have to be intentional with your mind. And your mind is the thing that's going to hold you back the most. We always think it's like people like to blame it on external circumstances. Like, well, I was, I was raised this way. I didn't have the support. I didn't have the, the money or I have this going, whatever it is. No, it's always your mind that's going to get in the way of you designing the life that you want. So I'm all about like you intentionally designing your life requires you to be intentional with your mind and you need to train your brain to be who you want to be. And I think that a lot of us don't take it to that level. Like we get clear about what it is we want, but then we don't do the mind training it takes to be the person that we want to be. So what's an example of where someone, they know what they want, but they don't take that first step. What do you think their holdup is? 
or what have you seen in your in your experience where people I guess what do people let hold them back? They let the how of it hold them back. Like let's say that like for an example in yeah, my let's, life. Yeah, let's pick what you're doing now. So a real yeah. estate investment, a commercial real estate adventure. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I don't come from a family of investors. Um, so it's like, you're like, well, I don't know how to even get started with that. Right. And they just fixate on the how, the how, the how, I don't know how. And it's like, the thing is you get clear about what it is you want and then you decide who, that's why I love the who, not how concept from Dan Sullivan is like, who can help you get there? Who do you need to be? And it's like, you need to develop the, you need to figure out what are the habits of that person? Like if you are an investor, you need to really think about it as identity like what's the identity that you want to have and who like the training involved to be that person. Um, and it's really about that because when you think about 95% of our results come from the subconscious part of our mind that is identity based. So let's say right now, like I'm starting to develop the identity around I am a real estate investor. Whereas before I didn't have that identity. So I don't behave as so. You behave based on what you believe you are. So that means I got to train to have like that, train my subconscious that I am this person and start to think of the habits and things like that. So what I do then is I study people who have the identity of what I want. And then I look at their habits. I look at their environment. What are they doing? How do they talk? Who do they hang out with? How do they spend their money? Whatever it is. And I need to, that's like the recipe. Those are like, those are the ingredients that I need to have the results that I want. And then I need to train myself to like, use all of those things so for this current venture so you and your husband are in this real estate game yeah what are some of the ingredients that you guys are tapping into so like okay one of the things is one of the things about real estate investors is they have networks they know all the peoples like they have their realtor they have their bankers or they have you know their contractors they have their people like that's a characteristic that you see across the board Whereas me is like, I was like, well, I don't have any of my peoples. Like, I don't know who those people are. Well, then I'm putting myself in spaces to know those people. Um, other things is like the way they make decisions around what they're investing in. Like a lot of them are looking at things not that are different than the typical person going to buy a home. We're looking at like, hmm, can I make this better? Will the value of this home go better? Like, um, grow up. What location is it in? Is it in a loc like location is key? Like, is this an area people want to be visiting? And just like seeing opportunity and things like, for example, when I was um, looking at a house the other day, it's like I came in when I saw that it was extremely outdated. And it was like, anytime someone's like, this is grandma or grandpa's house. I'm like, yes, let me see it. Because, you know, I know that they probably took care of it. Like the bones are good, but it's outdated. So when I went in, I saw one of these like old phones like stuck to the wall. Yes. And I was like, that thing? Yes. I was all excited where somebody else would be like, ew, that's I can't character. be in here. Yeah. yeah. That's character. And I was like, this is a good sign. Because I like, so I'm seeing things differently because now my brain is to see opportunity. And the way that I'm thinking is about future, long term. My old self didn't think that way. Like I was like, oh, that's outdated. Like I don't want all this work to update it. I just want a nice house. I want like, cause I didn't think like an investor, but then I had to study investors and see how they thought. And even so what how, if, how do they think? So you, you, you see this house that's from the sixties that grandma, grandpa living in with probably flower colored furniture and, you know, green tile in the bathroom. What do investors see when they see that? 
Okay, so they see opportunity. So they see a problem to be solved. And that's a higher energy mindset, like opportunity focus is of what I call anabolic energy, that positive uplifting building energy, whereas someone else coming in is coming from a catabolic state. It was like problem, problem, problem. They're not taking it to the next level, like problem to be solved, opportunity here. And that's how investors think. So I needed to start thinking like an investor. Does that translate to other aspects of life, seeing a problem to be solved? Yeah. I mean, that's if you think about anyone that we admire that is successful, they have an opportunity focused mindset. And you can always think where wherever there is a problem, there's always a solution. So just like even noticing that in your life, like when a problem pops up, be like solution, solution, like get your brain to go there, get your brain to go to seeing this as an opportunity. What's the blessing here? Whatever you need to ask yourself, like to flip that or bring that energy up. That's what you need to do. Because when I'm talking about the mind that's going to hold you back the most, it's really that catabolic energy, those those negative kinds of thoughts, problem-focused thoughts that are going to show up, that are going to stop you from being who you want to be. So one of the greatest skills you can learn is how to shift that energy. So you're saying people, you had mentioned the how. So they, they have a desire in mind. I want to buy this house yeah. for this example. But all they see or that they focus on is all the hurdles mm-hmm. that get you from step one to conclusion. And that's what they focus on. Oh, I don't know how to do A, B, C, D, or E. All the different things that happen in, in real estate. So how do you get a person to go from focusing on the hurdles to focusing on or at least changing the perspective, whereas those hurdles represent opportunities to learn and grow so that maybe the second investment opportunity, you're like, oh, I learned all these things from the first opportunity. How do you get someone to change that? I think you, it's a really, it's a shift in the energy that's there, a shift in the mindset, however you want to look at it. And like one of the best ways to shift energy or mindset is to ask questions, the right kinds of questions, like quality questions equal quality life. So when I notice that in myself, one of the good questions to ask is like, what can I do? Instead of getting yourself focused on like what is wrong, it's like what can I do or who can help me? So like asking yourself those right questions that are going to cause things to move forward, that is helpful. Because I think about overall when I think about like a home, it's like I don't know how to fix any of this stuff. I'm not super handy like that, whatever. But I'm like who can help me? What can I do? I can find someone that does know. I can and I just keep asking myself those questions that are shifting my energy every time I get to that lower state. So when you hit a brick wall. When you hit, you're like, oh shit, I, this is a, you know, cause it does happen. Like, all right, well, I don't know where to go from here, up, down, left, or right. Do you go into problem solving mode at that point? Sometimes it's hard to do because you're so in that energy. You know, it's hard for you to see beyond that. That's why people hire coaches. Cause it's like, they're asking you those questions and helping you shift. Cause it can be really hard to do that for yourself when you're in it. So this is where it's key that you're surrounding yourself with the right kind of people the people that you want to be like. So will you take it to a point where you're essentially, I can I can carry this pack only this far. Now I need to reach out to other yes, resources. Always. Like, I mean, that's the whole point. It's like, how do you, you don't get successful on your own. It's people. Like if you think about, you know, coffee, like the ready room coffee, like if you think about how did you get there? You had this idea, but you needed the right who's to take you there. The right website designers, the right like designers for the packaging the people that are going to be helping you like get this coffee ready and distribute it, all the things. It's like the who's and it's who is really what it's about. So once you get clear about what it is that you want, you got to decide who is going to help you. Like before I became a podcaster, you know, I learned from Pat Flynn how to podcast. 
And it was because I was like, oh, I have no idea. I don't know anything about podcasting. But then I know someone who does. So I'm going to study his like his habits, how he thinks about podcasting, all of that. And then that's how I got to be here today. Same thing with you when you were starting podcasting. And it's like, that is like when you think about intentionally designing your life, I say like there's a four step formula that I consider. You want to get that formula? Yeah, fire away. <laughs> okay. So the four, and it's the acronym that I use is CART. So C-A-R-T. So the formula is one, you get clear about what it is that you want. Because that's the first step. Your mind can't create it if it doesn't know what it's working towards. You have to put the destination in the GPS so you know which direction to head. And you get more clarity as you continue on. But we need, we at least need to put something into the GPS. So we're intentional about driving that direction. And then there might be some detours along the way. But anyways, first step, clarity. And then the next step is acting like the person you want to be. Acting. So that means you got to find people that already have the things that you desire and you got to figure out what those habits are, what kind of environment they're in, right? Um, and then the next step is recruit, recruiting the people that you need. So once you've studied someone, like like let's say I've studied an, an investor, right? So I'm like, oh, how do they act? I study them. And then I'm like, who? What kind of who's are they having in their life? Oh, they have, they have their set, um, you know, people that are giving them the money, um, they have their contractors, right? So I got to find my who's in that same way. So I'm recruiting my people. And then the last step is the T, which is the hardest for people, which is trusting, trusting over and over because there's going to be stuff that shows up, issues, and you really just got to be like getting yourself back to that state of like, I trust that if I just keep focusing like on opportunity, I keep moving forward, like it's going to work out for me. And I, I think also in that space, like that's where a lot of people give up to when like the crap hits the fan and it gets hard. And that's like in any endeavor that you like pursue, like that is going to happen. And that separates the ones who I feel like really are successful and the ones that aren't are the ones that give up at that point where it's like, well, guess not for me because I reached, you know, I had a hurdle or whatever it is. It's like you have to keep trusting and you need to do that over and over again. And I feel like that's the recipe to intentionally design your life is clarify what you want, act like the person you want to be, recruit the people that you need and trust over and over. And then repeat, keep repeating that with each thing that you do. No matter what it is, whatever goal you have, I feel like that is the recipe. So that is the recipe for being intentional and mm-hmm. how to get the results being intentional. And in the, like surrounding yourself with certain people, that also has a, and I've noticed that also has a, there's side effects to that. Oh, yeah. By default, surrounding yourself with certain types of people, you also sometimes have to shrink your own circle. Mm-hmm. Have you had to experience that where you've, I don't know, maybe your circle's gotten smaller as you've kind of just kind of grown in your various endeavors and as a wife and life takes you in different directions where your your circle has shrunk a little bit. Have you had that experience? Oh, definitely. And it's very intentional on my end. Like after... When I get clear about what it is I want, like I really only want to surround myself with people that have the characteristics of like what it is I want. Or I have different groups, you know, like now I have my real estate investor friends or I have my speaking professional friends and other people just kind of naturally too. other people in my life might whittle like away from my friend circle because it's like where our brains are so, so tribal, like you want to be around people like you. So they'll start to realize, oh, well, we're kind of different now. Like we're so like, I can't even talk to you because you're always talking about this other stuff that I'm not doing. Like I'm just going home from work and watch Netflix, you know? So it's like, we're so unrelatable. It gets to the point where it's pretty easy for them to like fall out of your life because 
they also don't want to talk to you because you guys aren't similar at all anymore. And then I just put myself. So anytime I have a goal, like I'm always putting myself in new groups. Like tonight is the first night I'll be going to another Toastmasters group in our area that's pretty active. And it's like their 77th anniversary or something like that. And I'm, I don't know anyone. I'm just going out to their dinner or celebration. They're bringing on new board members. I don't know anyone, but I know that the space I want to be in as a professional speaker needs to be surrounded by other people that want to be better speakers or in, you know, the national speaking association or like, I need to be around those people. So I'm always taking myself into these groups of like, that's new to me because I see it as it's a way that I'm training myself to be who I want to be. Yes. Very intentional. It's not random. Mm -mm. You're designing it. Yeah. It's very intentionally designed. I get clear about my vision and I only do things that align with my vision. The same is true of like when it's like, it makes your, I love visioning for people. I love people to get the clarity around their vision because then you can, without a vision, you can't be intentional with your time, period. Because how, how can you be intentional with your time, your money, your energy, if you don't know what you're working towards? Intentionality is about aligning your actions and your habits, all that stuff, and the way you're thinking with a vision. So that's like always the first step. And so many people don't even have that, that vision so they can be intentional. And then I only do things that align with it. It's just, it makes my decisions so much easier. Like, let's say you're going out to eat and like, let's say I have a vision that um, I want to be a strong, fit, confident person. Well, there's certain food that, that aligns with that vision and there's food that doesn't. It makes it really easy when you're like have a menu in front of you, you know where to go. It's, it makes your decision so easy. When you think about an opportunity comes my way, I will ask myself, does this align with my vision? Does this help me be who I want to be? And if sometimes you get like a lot of my career coaching clients, they get offered amazing opportunities. And we are constantly like this afternoon, one of my clients got offered multiple amazing opportunities and we really sit down. And we're like, okay, this is your vision. This is who you said you want to be. This is the kind of life that you want to have. These are your values. Which one aligns the most? Because that's the one we're going to pour into. And like, let's say one of them does, but you're missing something. Then we know what we want to negotiate for because we have a vision in mind of who you want to be. And that's how I treat like my clients is like, it's very intentional. Our negotiations around like one of them is, you know, the salary that she wanted. We're making sure that that's happening. Um, we've already, like, she really values learning, professional development. We just negotiated for two conferences that are paid for for her, the specific one she wants, um, flexible schedule, the time off that she wants, all the things because it's in alignment with her vision. And it's just so intentional. But there's discipline associated with that. Mm-hmm. That's not... That's, oh, yeah. that's not all just like, oh, we happened to go to the restaurant and I happened to order this and we happened to do this today and we happened to have no, time there's for no the gym. Oh, it just, we randomly it. went to the gym at 6 a.m. We randomly ate healthy for lunch and dinner. You know, mm-hmm. that's not random. And you still, because you're a human, like last night when we had dinner. I had fish last night. But also remember <laughs> the dessert? Remember she, it was like a Oreo chocolate Hershey something glorious yeah. pie. And I was like, damn, that sounds really good. I'm going to pass. Yeah. So the discipline associated with that. So you say it almost like it sounds easy, but it's not. Those mm-hmm. are all, do you, you know, make, would you make some of those decisions in advance? Do you know yes. before you even get put in the situation that I know I'm not going to do this or I am going to do this? Does that happen? Yeah, all the time. So even if, you know, people, let's say food wise going out to eat, like I'll pull up the menus in advance and know to myself, like, you know, what I'm going to be able to order or like, you know, if I'm being really intentional about some goal I'm working on, then I'll know like in advance. So it makes it easier. Like if you can make any, make it so that you don't have to be like 
put on the spot to make those decisions and where it's just based on like willpower. That's why I'm all about like setting up my stuff the day before all the things. But the other thought that really serves me is I often say like I choose short term discomfort for long term satisfaction. Because let's be real, like let's say someone offers you a donut or something and you're like, oh, like this sounds really good right now. You know, like you want to eat that and I'll be like, oh, it's uncomfortable for me to say no to that. And everybody might be eating it. And like, let's be real, that's uncomfortable. Like it's my tribe's all eating it and I have to say no. So it's like, I'm, oh, I'm choosing to say no because I'm choosing the short-term discomfort for long-term satisfaction. And that's something that I often tell myself. It's like, okay, you can handle this. You can be uncomfortable right now. And I think a lot of people, they're not willing to be uncomfortable for what it is that they desire. And this is like a quote that I love is it's, it's not, the question shouldn't be, do I have what it takes? The question should be, am I willing to give what it takes? And I really feel like that really hits me because it's like, it's not like if you think about, um, like I think about the TEDx stage because I'm always working with, you know, TEDx speakers. It's like, it's not like, do I have what it takes to get on the stage? It's like, are you willing to give what it takes to get on the stage? Are you willing to do the training that it takes? Are you willing to apply to do, you know, that's really what it is. So it's like anytime we feel that sense of like unworthiness that many of us feel, it's like asking, like you already have what it takes, period. Like you're a child of God, period. You are worthy. You have what it takes. But are you willing to give what it takes? The same thing is like being healthy. Are you willing to give up? Are you willing, you know, that cupcake? Are you willing to make that hard choice in front of everybody that's doing every other thing so that you can have what it is you desire? That's really what it's about. I just had a... uh as you were saying that, what you're willing to give, the time, the dedication, the folks, focus, all those things. Are you willing to sacrifice, you know, eating the pie for dessert because you have a goal of the vision you have inside for yourself is, hey, I want to get in shape or I want to do this. I'm willing to sacrifice or adjust my financial habits because one of our visions and goals is to save this much money to put a down payment on this property. Yeah. So you, you know, the GPS location is a metaphor for, your goal, whatever it is mm-hmm. in any form or fashion and the amount of time that goes into it. And I, I had this math super nerd session on the drive up here about boxers and I'm going to do some public math. I'm going to ruin this, but a boxing fight, professional boxing fight, usually if it goes to 15 rounds, that's a long fight. Usually they're 12 rounds, but let's say a 15 round boxing match, three minute rounds is 45 minutes. So it's a 45 minute fight. Professional boxers will do two, three, sometimes four fights in a year, which is actually a lot. So for numbers purposes, let's say do, they do one fight every four months, okay? Mm-hmm. So and the goal of this little discussion and what I'm getting to is the amount of time put in in the four months leading up to this 45-minute evolution. 45 minutes. It's less than an hour, right? But four months. So if a boxer trains five hours a day, five days a week, which is less significantly less what they actually do but for easy numbers we're going to use that Mm -hmm. so they put in five hours a day five days a week that's 25 hours a week times four so 100 hours a month times four months so 400 hours total go into a 400 or 45 minute session so you think about that it's the ratio Mm -hmm. of work and dedication to actual goal or event or in this case fight is 400 to one so if you want, and the average boxer in a round, they might throw 100 to 150 punches. That's on a high side. If you went down the punch rabbit hole, how many punches they throw in the four months leading up to? So in the 400 hours of punching to prepare them for the 445 minutes, 
of throwing a punch, the ratio is like a million to one. Yeah. And it's, it's one example of, like you had said, you give up the short term. What? How did you put it again? You give you up. Choose the, so you choose short term discomfort for long term satisfaction. Yeah, and you associate the discipline and making decisions in advance. So when you get to that situation, you know what you're going to do. Yeah, you've already decided like what you're going to do, versus like reacting to life. Like too many of us are just reacting to life, and that's the issue. We're not intentional about how we show up. And if you're not intentionally designing your life, someone else is designing it for you. And that sucks because you're going to be on your deathbed and you're going to be looking back and you're going to be like, oh, like, like top regret of the dying is I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So it's like so many people have that regret. So we can learn from that regret that instead of letting other people design our life, we're going to design our life intentionally. Solid. Have you heard the quote from Tecumseh? Mm -hmm. So famous Indian warrior. Oh, he has a gnarly quote and I'll bring it up here at the end because it's, it's of one of the tattoos I have drawn up. I have that and it's in Italian, but he talks about, he calls it singing your death song. It's badass. I'll, I'll, if we got time, I'll throw it in there, but what's, yeah. what's your watch say? I don't have a watch. What time is it? Um, we have 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay, perfect. All right. So we got 10 minutes. No worries. This is uh we're going to transition into the fun part. Um, so before we get into the random stuff, the, the Susan round of awesomeness. What's one piece of guidance? If you could, you know, you got 30 seconds to sit down with any person who's having struggles designing their life. And you got to give them one nugget. What do you tell them? Oh, um, I would say to hands down just surround yourself with people that you actually want to be like because your brain is wired like mirror neurons that's how we learn as humans is we watch other people so like whatever it is that you desire definitely need to get yourself in the right rooms to be the person you want to be solid books and people i was told when i was younger when i was 16 and i obviously wasn't listening because i was a 16 year old punk it was just he was like one of my coaches said philip you will become the people you surround yourself with and the mm -hmm. books you read. Yeah. Because like, okay. you, you're even like what you're consuming with the books. It's like you're training your mind. It's like even if you can't actually be around those people physically, mentally, you can be around them with the podcast, with the books, all that. Totally. Okay. You ready to go down the rabbit hole? Yes. This is just going to be fun. Um, well, you have to select one of the two pieces of candy. We have a purple piece of candy and a red piece of candy. Which one do you choose? No, you can't choose the purple. You oh. have to choose the red. All right. <laughs> so we're going on the red rabbit hole. This is just random stuff. All right. So I'm going to give you uh, three quotes and give me your thoughts on the quotes. The first one. True hell is when the person you are meets the person you could have been. Oh, uh, that I really feel like that is true hell, truly. And that's like the biggest thing that drives me when people ask me about my work it's like I would love to say it's like because I want to inspire other people and it's I'm really driven by fear fear of like that quote like meeting the person that I could have been like that drives me okay solid next one one of my favorite quotes from a marine Charles Swindell the longer I live the more I realize the impact of attitude on life Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. 
The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Yes. Hands down. That's all I have to say. That was so good. Okay. Last quote. Pasta, wine, and coffee are all you need for a happy life. Pasta, wine, and coffee. Mm. You know, I feel like... I Coffee definitely is on the list. but And I love wine, too. I'm not a big pasta person, though. I, I will educate you on pasta. I know, but I know the, like that, that Italian We could change side. that. Okay. All right, now for the last part. I'm going to give you five situations. How do you react? How, how do you think people should react, I should say? Okay. Five situations. You're in a knockdown, drag-out argument with your spouse. How do you handle it? Ooh, knocked out. Not, would say that again? Knock down, drag out. Like just a dramatic. Hardcore. Yeah, you're in a hardcore scrap with your spouse. <laughs> Domestic violence. Not situation. physically. This um, is a okay. verbal scrap. <laughs> um, in that case, um, well, obviously you're going to be very worked up. So I think in that situation, you need to mentally, it goes back to like, it's going to be tough for you to manage your mind. So I feel like managing your body, like I would get myself like a step away from that situation. So then I can allow myself to like calm down, get my thoughts right, and then come back. Okay. Next situation. You're at the TSA security line at the airport. It's a total zoo. You're going through O'Hare Airport. And you notice maybe the TSA agent looks like they're having a rough day. What do you do? Ooh, looks like they're having a rough day. I love people's, like their names. I love to call people by their names. And there's a lot of science behind that around what it does. It releases dopamine for people sweetest sound to their ears. Um, so I like to say like, hey, Phil, how's it going? Or like, hey, Phil, um, I like this or whatever, like compliment um, using like, or, and if I can find a way that we have in common, like just chatting with them, the name thing right off the bat is going to, you're going to notice a shift in their body language and then just compliment them in something, make a joke, something like that, shift the energy. All right. You're speeding and you get pulled over and you know, you were speeding. Oh, what do I do? And the cop comes. I'm still gonna like probably say the same thing. Like, I mean, I don't know. Do cops have their names on there? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna use the name thing if I can, and I'm gonna be like, I'm like, I'm gonna act like I didn't know that I was doing that, like most people do, <laughs> and I'm be like, I'm so sorry, or like, I'm not a like, I'm I suck at lying. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'll probably just keep it real um, about whatever was the situation, and just be as friendly and as sweet as I can be. All right. Two more. Fourth one, you see a property that's overpriced, but you see significant value in it. <laughs> maybe you can afford it, maybe you can't. What do you think? What am I going to do? Yeah. I'm going to try to get that thing lowered. Duh. Yeah. And I'm, Well, a big part of that is like finding the motivation behind the seller. This is what investors do. Like you got to study the people and you got you to see what's important to them. So like a situation that I was in recently, it's like they want to, they inherit it, you know, they want to get, they, they wanted it to be easy. All the stuff was in there. Well, I can be like, well, I'll take all the stuff in it. Like I'm, I'm thinking about what's motivating them. And I'm also going to 
research to get a number and to see where they were like the last offer that they had. You can do some homework. Yeah, for sure. All right, last one. You're hiking the Appalachian Trail with your husband and you run out of mayonnaise. What do you do? Oh, run out of mayonnaise? Oh, man. What do I do? Do you just flip out? Do you keep cool? I keep I keep cool, but I'm I'm already like strategizing how I'm gonna manage. <laughs> I really am. This is this oh, is a real shit. thing. How can I? You go into problem solving mode. Where do we get more? Yeah, mayonnaise? exactly. And I will like check and see how far we are to the nearest town, and then I will make sure that I can go in and get those packets and refill oh, my my fanny pack. I'm gonna mail you like a Sam's Club box of mayonnaise just for fun. Just for no other reason, just because well, I think it's ridiculous. we go through like one big gigantic mayonnaise oh thing a week. Oh, just Ian and I. Gosh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Mayo. It makes everything better. What about like hot sauce? What about something no, different? I'm not a hot sauce person, you know? It's like you have an identity around something. I'm the mayonnaise girl. You identify with mayonnaise. I do. This is, I've never had any but in a, my human life have a discussion about mayonnaise okay who doesn't this. like okay like chicken salad tuna salad egg salad all of those kinds of salads they have mayonnaise true in them. but they're better instead of mayonnaise you use creamy italian dressing to mix it and hold it together try that really one. i don't nope. know trust me i, I won a chicken salad battle in flight school against a professional chef one i added doritos to the top of it as a crunchy topper oh. for the chicken salad which is a game changer because everyone loves doritos and i used creamy italian dressing to bind it together Way better. I'll have to try that. All right, Ange, where can people find you? Seriously, like podcast, you website, can find me, everything. Give so me my, the Yeah, everything. you can. My podcast is Intentional Mind Podcast or the Intentional Mind Podcast. And then my website is intentionalmindpodcast.com or angebarnard.com. Get you to the same place. Uh, folks, check it out. Super cool stuff. Hundred Over 140 episodes. Been doing the podcast over two and a half years. They're good. Some 20, 30, 45 minutes on your drive while you're cleaning the house. Tons of really, really good brain food. I call it brain food because yeah. I think it's if you put good things in, good things come out. So awesome brain food. So, Ange, Definitely. thank you. Thank you for having this me. This has been a blast. Super short. We just went through an hour and 20 minutes and like it took five minutes to do that. Like yeah, we're zooming. Like no that shit. Well, let's get more coffee, but saved rounds. <laughs> Any saved rounds, any last uh, last bit uh, nuggets you can chuck out into the universe? So let me think here. The last bits. Um, oh, like the biggest advice I always give people is like, if you're in a room, I wish someone, like I gave me this advice when I was younger is like, make sure you're recognized. Like so many people want to hide in the spaces that they're in. You know, like let's say like think about students and like in a classroom or whatever it is, wherever you are, make it known that you are there. Like make yourself memorable. Like that's how you get also amazing opportunities is that you stand out. And if you're too busy hiding, you're not going to get yourself to wherever you want to go. I think that is, I think we just actually decided to do a sequel to this because there's many ways how to do everything you just said. Yeah. So we're going to do this again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Okay, shit hot. Anything else? That's it. All right, folks, it's Angela and Susan. We're out of here. See ya. Bye. <laughs>